6. Ord, there was some ground for such a belief, because many of the most prominent successful men of Spanish and Philippine birth were men whose education had been foreign. A well-known instance in Manila was the architect Roses, father of the present Alcalde of Manila, who learned his profession in England and was almost the only notable builder in Manila during his lifetime. Pashano Rizal, Jose's elder brother, had retired from Manila on the death of Dr. Burgos and devoted himself to farming, in some ways, perhaps. His career suggested the character of Tazio, the philosopher of Nalimi Tanher. He was careful to see that his younger brother was familiar with the liberal literature with which he had become acquainted through Dr. Burgos. The first foreign book read by Rizal, in a Spanish translation, was Tomas' great novel, The Count of Monte Cristo, and the story of the wrongs suffered by the prisoner of the Chateau de recalled the injustice done his mother. Then came the book which had greatest influence upon the young man's career, this was a Spanish translation of Jagger's Travels in the Philippines. The observations of a German naturalist who had visited the islands some fifteen years before, this latter book, among other comments, suggested that it was the fate of the North American Republic to develop and bring to their highest prosperity the lands which Spain had conquered and Christianized with sword and cross. Sooner or later, this German writer believed, the Philippine Islands could no more escape this American influence than had the countries on the mainland and expressed the hope that one day the Philippines would succumb to the same influence, he felt, however, that it was desirable first for the Icelanders to become better able to meet the strong competition of the vigorous young people of the New World, for under Spain the Philippines had dreamed away its past. The exact title of the book is, Travels in the Philippines, by F. Jagger, with numerous illustrations and a map London, Chapman and Hall, 193, Piccadilly. 1875, the title of the Spanish translation reads, Vijays por Filipinas D.F. Jagger Traducidos del Aoman por S. Vital y Solar Engineiro de Montes Edición Ilustrada con Numerosos Grabados Madrid, Imprenta, Estria Pidea y Galvanoplastia de Araban y C.A. Susisores de Rivadensire Impresores de Canara D.S.M. Call del Duca de Osuna, Num. 3, 1875. The following extract from the book will show how marvelously the author anticipated events that have now become history, with the altered condition of things. However, all this has disappeared. The colony can no longer be kept secluded from the world. Every facility afforded for commercial intercourse is a blow to the old system, and a great step made in the direction of broad and liberal reforms. The more foreign capital and foreign ideas and customs are introduced, increasing the prosperity, enlightenment and self-esteem of the population, the more impatiently will the existing evils be endured. England can and does open her possessions unconcernedly to the world. The British colonies are united to the mother country by the bond of mutual advantage. This, the produce of raw material by means of English capital, and the exchange of the same for English manufactures. The wealth of England is so great, the organization of her commerce with the world so complete that nearly all the foreigners even in the British possessions are for the most part agents for English business houses, which would scarcely be affected, at least to any marked extent, by a political dismemberment. It is entirely different with Spain, which possesses the colony as an inherited property, and without the power of turning it to any useful account, government monopolies rigorously maintained, insolent disregard and neglect of the half-castes and powerful creoles and the example of the United States, 
Word are the chief reasons of the downfall of the American possessions. The same causes threaten ruin to the Philippines, but of the monopolies I have said enough. Half-castes and creoles, it is true or not, as they formerly were in America, excluded from all official appointments, but they feel deeply hurt and injured through the crowds of place hunters which the frequent changes of ministers send to Manila. The influence, also, of the American element is at least visible on the horizon, and will be more noticeable when the relations increase between the two countries. At present they are very slender. The trade in the meantime follows in its old channels to England and to the Atlantic ports of the United States. Nevertheless, whoever desires to form an opinion upon the future history of the Philippines, must not consider simply their relations to Spain, but must have regard to the prodigious changes which a few decades produce on either side of our planet. For the first time in the history of the world the mighty powers on both sides of the ocean have commenced to enter upon a direct intercourse with one another Russia, which alone is larger than any two other parts of the earth, China, which contains within its own boundaries a third of the population of the world, and America, with ground under cultivation nearly sufficient to feed treble the total population of the earth. Russia's further role in the Pacific Ocean is not to be estimated at present. The trade between the two other great powers will therefore be presumably all the heavier, as the rectification of the pressing need of human labor on the one side, and of the corresponding overplus on the other, will fall to them. The world of the ancients was confined to the shores of the Mediterranean, and the Atlantic and Indian Oceans sufficed at one time for our traffic. When first the shores of the Pacific re-echoed with the sounds of active commerce, the trade of the world and the history of the world may be really said to have begun. A start in that direction has been made, whereas not so very long ago the immense ocean was one wide waste of waters, traversed from both points only once a year. From 1603 to 1769 scarcely a ship had ever visited California, that wonderful country which, 25 years ago, with the exception of a few places on the coast, was an unknown wilderness, but which is now covered with flourishing and prosperous towns and cities divided from sea to sea by a railway, and its capital already ranking the third of the seaports of the Union, even at this early stage of its existence a central point of the world's commerce, and apparently destined, by the proposed junction of the great oceans, to play a most important part in the future, in proportion as the navigation of the west coast of America extends the influence of the American element over the South Sea, the captivating magic power which the great republic exercises over the Spanish colonies will not fail to make itself felt also in the Philippines. The Americans are evidently destined to bring to a full development the germs originated by the Spaniards. As conquerors of modern times, they pursue their road to victory with the assistance of the pioneers axe and plow, representing an age of peace and commercial prosperity in contrast to that bygone and chivalrous age whose champions were upheld by the cross and protected by the sword. A considerable portion of Spanish America already belongs to the United States, and has since attained an importance which could not possibly have been anticipated either under the Spanish government or during the anarchy which followed. With regard to permanence, the Spanish system cannot for a moment be compared with that of America, while each of the colonies, in order to favor a privileged class by immediate gains, exhausted still more the already enfeebled population of the metropolis by the withdrawal of the best of its ability. America, on the contrary, has attracted to itself from all countries the most energetic element, which, once on its soil and, freed from all fetters, restlessly progressing, 
has extended its power and influence still further and further. The Philippines will escape the action of the two great neighboring powers all the less for the fact that neither they nor their metropolis find their condition of a stable and well-balanced nature. It seems to be desirable for the natives that the above-mentioned views should not speedily become accomplished facts, because their education and training hitherto have not been of a nature to prepare them successfully to compete with either of the other two energetic, creative, and progressive nations. They have, in truth, dreamed away their best days. This prophecy of Jaggers made a deep impression upon Rizal and seems to furnish the explanation of his life work. Henceforth it was his ambition to arouse his countrymen to prepare themselves for a freer state. He dedicated himself to the work which Dr. Jagger had indicated as necessary. It seems beyond question that Dr. Rizal, as early as 1876, believed that America would sometime come to the Philippines and wished to prepare his countrymen for the changed conditions that would then have to be met. Many little incidents in his later life confirm this view, his eagerness to buy expensive books on the United States, such as his early purchase in Barcelona of two different lives of the presidents of the United States, his study of the country and his travel across it from San Francisco to New York, the reference in the Philippines in a hundred years, and the studies of the English Revolution and other Anglo-Saxon influences which culminated in the foundation of the United States of America, besides the interest he took in clay modeling, to which reference has already been made. Rizal was expert in carving. When first in the Otneo he had carved an image of the Virgin of such grace and beauty that one of the fathers asked him to try an image of the Sacred Heart. Rizal complied, and produced the carving that played so important a part in his future life. The Jesuit father had intended to take the image with him to Spain, but in some way it was left behind and the schoolboys put it up on the door of their dormitory. There it remained for nearly twenty years, constantly reminding the many lads who passed in and out of the one who teachers and pupils alike agreed was the greatest of all their number. For Rizal during these years was the schoolboy hero of the Otmio, and from the Otmio came the men who were most largely concerned in making the new Philippines. The image itself is of but a kulan, an easily carved wood, and shows considerable skill when one remembers that an ordinary pocket knife was the simple instrument used in its manufacture. It was recalled to Rizal's memory when he visited the Otmio upon his first return from Spain and was forbidden the house by the Jesuits because of his alleged apostasy, and again in the chapel of Fort Santiago, where it played an important part in what was called his conversion. The proficiency he attained in the art of clay modeling is evidenced by many of the examples illustrated in this volume. They not only indicate an astonishing versatility, but they reveal his very characteristic method of working a characteristic based on his constant desire to adapt the best things he found abroad to the conditions of his own country. The same characteristic appears also in most of his literary work, and in it there is no servile imitation, it is careful and studied selection adaptation and combination. For example, the composition of a steel engraving in a French art journal suggested his model in clay of a Philippine wild boar, the head of the subject in a painting in the Luxembourg Gallery and the rest of a figure in an engraving in a newspaper are combined in a statuette. He modeled in Brussels and sent, in May, 1890, to Valentina Ventura in place of the letter, a clipping from a newspaper cut is also adapted for his model of The Vengeance of the Harem, and as evidence of his facility of expressing himself in this medium, his clay modeling of a dapat woman may be cited. One day while in exile he saw a native woman clearing up the street in front of her home preparatory to a festival, 
the movements and the attitudes of the figure were so thoroughly typical and so impressed themselves on his mind that he worked out this statuette from memory. In a literary way Rizal's first pretentious effort was a melodrama in one act and in verse, entitled, Hood al Posig, Beside the Posig, a play in honor of the Virgin, which was given in the Agnio to the great edification of a considerable audience, who were enthusiastic in their praise and hearty in their applause. But the young author neither saw the play nor paid any attention to the manner of its reception, for he was downstairs, intent on his own diversions and heedless of what was going on above. Thursday was the school holiday in those days, and Rizal usually spent the time at the convent of La Concordia, where his youngest sister, Soledad, was a boarder. He was a great friend of the little one and a welcome visitor in the convent, he used to draw pictures for her edification sometimes teasing her by making her own portrait, to which he gave exaggerated ears to indicate her curiosity. Then he wrote short satirical skits, such as the following, which in English doggerel quite matches its Spanish original, the girls of Concordia College go dressed in the latest of styles bangs high on their foreheads for knowledge but hungry their grins and their smiles. Some of these girls made an impression upon Jose and one of his diary entries of this time tells of his rude awakening when a girl, some years his elder, who had laughingly accepted his boyish adoration, informed him that she was to marry a relative of his, and he speaks of the hard thing with which he watched the caroma that carried her from his sight to her wedding. Jose was a great reader, and the newspapers were giving much attention to the World's Fair in Philadelphia which commemorated the first centennial of American independence and published numerous cuts illustrating various interesting phases of American life. Possibly as a reaction from the former disparagement of things American, the sentiment in the Philippines was then very friendly. There was one long account of the presentation of a Spanish banner to a Spanish commission in Philadelphia, and the newspapers, in speaking of the wonderful progress which the United States had made, recalled the early Spanish alliance and referred to the fact that, had it not been for the discoveries of the Spaniards, their new land would not have been known to Europe. Rizal during his last two years in the Otnia was a boarder. Throughout his entire course he had been the winner of most of the prizes. Upon receiving his Bachelor of Arts diploma he entered the University of Santa Thomas. In the first year he studied the course in philosophy and in the second year began to specialize in medicine. The Otnia course of study was a good deal like that of our present high school though not so thorough nor so advanced. Still, the method of instruction which has made Jesuit education notable in all parts of the world carried on the good work which the mother's training had begun. The system required the explanation of the morrow's lesson, questioning on the lesson of the day and a review of the previous day's work. This, with the attention given to the classics, developed and quickened faculties which gave Rizal a remarkable power of assimilating knowledge of all kinds for future use. The story is told that Rizal was undecided as to his career, and wrote to the rector of the Otnio for advice, but the Jesuit was then in the interior of Mindanao, and by the time the answer, suggesting that he should devote himself to agriculture, was received, he had already made his choice. However, Rizal did continue the study of agriculture, besides specializing in medicine, carrying on double work as he took the course in the Otnia which led to the degree of land surveyor and agricultural expert. This work was completed before he had reached the age fixed by law, so that he could not then receive his diploma, which was not delivered to him until he had attained the age of 21 years.
In the Life of Rizal published in Barcelona after his death a brilliant picture is painted of how Rizal might have followed the advice of the rector of the Otmiel, and have lived a long, useful and honorable life as a farmer and gobernadorcillo of his hometown, respected by the Spaniards, looked up to by his countrymen and filling an humble but safe lot in life. Today one can hardly feel that such a career would have been suited to the man or regret that events took the course they did. Poetry was highly esteemed in the Otmiel, and Rizal frequently made essays in verse, often carrying his compositions to Calamba for his mother's criticisms and suggestions. The writings of the Spanish poet Zorilla were making a deep impression upon him at this time, and while his schoolmates seemed to have been more interested in their warlike features, Jose appears to have gained from them an understanding of how Zorilla sought to restore the Spanish people to their former dignity rousing their pride through recalling the heroic events in their past history. Some of the passages in the melodrama, Hood al already described, were evidently influenced by his study of Zorila, the fierce denunciation of Spain which is there put in the mouth of Satan expresses, no doubt, the real sentiments of Rizal. In 1877 a society known as the Liso Liberario Artistico Lyceum of Art and Literature offered a prize for the best poem by a native. The winner was Rizal with the following verses, El Juventud Filipino, to the Philippine youth. The prize was a silver pen, feather-shaped and with a gold ribbon running through it. To the Philippine youth theme, growth, translation by Charles Derbyshire Hold high the brow serene, O youth, where now you stand, let the bright sheen of your grace be seen. Fair hope of my fatherland, come now, thou genius grand, and bring down inspiration, with thy mighty hand. Swifter than the wind's volation, raise the eager mind to higher station. Come down with pleasing light of art and science to the fight, O youth, and therein tie the chains that heavy lie. Your spirit free to blight. See how in flaming zone amid the shadows thrown, the Spaniard's holy hand a crown's resplendent band proffers to this Indian land. Thou, who now wouldst rise on wings of rich emprise, seeking from Olympian sky songs of sweetest strain, softer than ambrosial rain. Thou, whose voice divine rivals Philomel's refrain, and with varied line through the night benign frees mortality from pain, Thou, who by sharp strife wakest thy mind to life, and the memory bright of thy genius light makest immortal in its strength, and Thou, in accents clear of Phoebus, to a petal's dear, or by the brush's magic art takest from nature's store apart, to fix it on the simple canvas length, go forth, and then the sacred fire of thy genius to the laurel may aspire, to spread around the fame, and in victory acclaim, through wider spheres the human name, day, oh happy day, fair Filipinas, for thy land, so bless the power today that places in thy way this favor and this fortune grand, the next competition at the Liso was in honor of the fourth centennial of the death of Cervantes, it was open to both Filipinos and Spaniards, and there was a dispute as to the winner of the prize, it is hard to figure out just what really happened, the newspapers speak of Rizal as winning the first prize, but his certificate says second, and there seems to have been some sort of compromise by which a Spaniard who was second was put at the head. Newspapers, of course, were then closely censored, but the liberal Oceania contains a number of veiled allusions to medical poets, suggesting that for the good of humanity they should not be permitted to waste their time in verse-making. One reference quotes the title of Rizal's first poem in saying that it was giving a word of advice to the Philippine youth, and there are other indications that for some considerable time the outcome of this contest was a very live topic in the city of Manila.
Rizal's poem was an allegory. The Council of the Gods, El Consjo de los Dioses. It was an exceedingly artistic appreciation of the chief figure in Spanish literature. The rector of the Otmio had assisted his former student by securing for him needed books. And though Rizal was at that time a student in Santa Thomas, the rivalries were such that he was still ranked with the pupils of the Jesuits and his success was a corresponding source of elation to the Otmio pupils and alumni. Some people have stated that Father Avaristo Arias, a notably brilliant writer of the Dominicans, was a competitor. A version I once published, but investigation shows that this was a mistake. However, sentiment in the university against Rizal grew, until matters became so unpleasant that he felt it time to follow the advice of Father Burgos and continue his education outside of the islands. Just before this incident Rizal had been the victim of a brutal assault in Calamba, one night when he was passing the barracks of the civil guard he noted in the darkness a large body, but did not recognize who it was and passed without any attention to it. It turned out that the large body was a lieutenant of the civil guard, and, without warning or word of any kind, he drew his sword and wounded Rizal in the back. Rizal complained of this outrage to the authorities and tried several times, without success, to see the governor-general. Finally he had to recognize that there was no redress for him. By May of 1882 Rizal had made up his mind to set sail for Europe, and his brother, Pashano, equipped him with 700 pesos for the journey, while his sister, Saturnina, entrusted to him a valuable diamond ring which might prove a resource in time of emergency. Jose had gone to Calamba to attend a festival there, when Mr. Hidalgo, from Manila, notified him that his boat was ready to sail. The telegram, asking his immediate return to the city, was couched in the form of advice of the condition of a patient, and the name of the steamer, Salvadora, by a play on words was used in the sense of, may save her life. Rizal had previously requested of Mr. Ramirez, of the Puerta del Sol store, letters of introduction to an Englishman, formerly in the Philippines, who was then living in Paris. He said nothing more of his intentions, but on his last night in the city, with his younger sister as companion, he drove all through the walled city and its suburbs, changing horses twice in the five hours of his farewell. The next morning he embarked on the steamer, and there yet remains the sketch which he made of his last view of the city, showing its waterfront as it appeared from the departing steamer. To leave town it was necessary to have a passport, his was in the name of Jose Mercado, and had been secured by a distant relative of his who lived in the Santa Cruz district. After five days' journey the little steamer reached the English colony of Singapore. There Rizal saw a modern city for the first time. He was intensely interested in the improvements. Especially did the assured position of the natives, confident in their rights and not fearful of the authorities, arouse his admiration. Great was the contrast between the fear of their rulers shown by the Filipinos and the confidence which the natives of Singapore seemed to have in their government. At Singapore, Rizal transferred to a French mail steamer and seems to have had an interesting time making himself understood on board. He had studied some French in his Otmio course, writing an ode which gained honors. But when he attempted to speak the language he was not successful in making Frenchmen understand him. So he resorted to a mixed system of his own, sometimes using Latin words and making the changes which regularly would have occurred. And when words failed, making signs, and in extreme cases drawing pictures of what he wanted, this versatility with the pencil. For many of his offhand sketches had humorous touches that almost carried them into the cartoon class. 
interested officers and passengers, so that the young student had the freedom of the ship and a voyage far from tedious. The passage of the Suez Canal, a glimpse of Egypt, Aden, where East and West meet, and the Italian city of Naples, with its historic castle, were are the features of the trip which most impressed him. Chapter VI The period of preparation Rizal disembarked at Marseilles, saw a little of that famous port, and then went by rail to Barcelona, crossing the Pyrenees, the desolate ruggedness of which contrasted with the picturesque luxuriance of his tropical home, and remained a day at the frontier town of Portu. The customary Spanish disregard of tourists compared very unfavorably with the courteous attention which he had remarked on his arrival at Marseilles for the custom house officers on the Spanish frontier rather reminded him of the class of employees found in Manila. At Barcelona he met many who had been his schoolmates in the Otmio and others to whom he was known by name. It was the custom of the Filipino students there to hold reunions every other Sunday at the cafe, for their limited resources did not permit the daily visits which were or the Spanish custom. In honor of the new arrival a special gathering occurred in a favorite cafe in Plaza de Catalonia. The characteristics of the Spaniards and the features of Barcelona were all described for Rizal's benefit, and he had to answer a host of questions about the changes which had occurred in Manila. Most of his answers were to the effect that old defects had not yet been remedied nor incompetent officials supplanted, and he gave a rather hopeless view of the future of their country. Somewhat in this gloomy mood, he wrote home for a newly established Tagalog newspaper of Manila, his views of love of country an article not so optimistic as most of his later writings. In Barcelona he remained but a short time, long enough, however, to see the historic sites around that city, which was established by Hannibal, had numbered many noted Romans among its residents, and in later days was the scene of the return of Columbus from his voyages in the New World, bringing with him samples of redskins, birds and other novel products of the unknown country. Then there were the magnificent boulevards, the handsome dwellings, the interest which the citizens took in adorning their city and the pride in the results, and above all, the disgust at all things Spanish and the loyalty to Catalonia, rather than to the mother-fatherland. The Catalan was the most progressive type in Spain, but he had no love for his compatriots, was ever complaining of their manana habits and of the evils that were bound to exist in a country where church and state were so inextricably intermingled. Many Catalans were avowedly Republicans. Signs might be seen on the outside of buildings telling of the location of Republican clubs, and popular officials were hooted in the streets. The newspapers were intemperate in their criticism of the government, and a campaign was carried on openly which aimed at changing from a monarchy to a democracy, without any apparent molestation from the authorities. All these things impressed the lad who had seen in his own country the most respectfully worded complaints of unquestionable abuses treated as treason, bringing not merely punishment, but opprobrium as well. He, himself, in order to obtain a better education, had had to leave his country stealthily like a fugitive from justice, and his family, to save themselves from persecution, were compelled to profess ignorance of his plans and movements. His name was entered in Santa Thomas at the opening of the new term, with the fees paid, and Pashano had gone to Manila pretending to be looking for this brother whom he had assisted out of the country. Early in the fall Rizal removed to Madrid and entered the Central University there. His short residence in Barcelona was possibly for the purpose of correcting the irregularity in his passport, for in that town it would be easier to obtain a cédula, 
and with this his way in the national university would be made smoother. He enrolled into courses, medicine, and literature and philosophy, besides these he studied sculpture, drawing and art in San Carlos, and took private lessons in languages from Mr. Hughes, a well-known instructor of the city. With all these laborers it is not strange that he did not mingle largely in social life, and lack of funds and want of clothes, which have been suggested as reasons for this, seem hardly adequate. Jose had left Manila with some 700 pesos and a diamond ring. Besides, he received funds from his father monthly, which were sent through his cousin, Antonio Rivera, of Manila, for fear that the landlords might revenge themselves upon their tenant for the slight which his son had cast upon their university in deserting it for a peninsular institution. It was no easy task in those days for a lad from the provinces to get out of the islands for study abroad. Rizal frequently attended the theater choosing especially the higher class dramas, occasionally went to a masked ball, played the lotteries in small amounts but regularly, and for the rest devoted most of his money to the purchase of books. The greater part of these were second-hand, but he bought several standard works in good editions, many with bindings to looks. Among the books first purchased figure a Spanish translation of the Lives of the Presidents of the United States, from Washington to Johnson, Morocco-bound, gilt-edged, and illustrated with steel engravings certainly an expensive book, A History of the English Revolution, a comparison of the Romans and the Teutons, and several other books which indicated interest in the freer system of the Anglo-Saxons. Later, another History of the Presidents, to Cleveland, was added to his library. The following lines, said to be addressed to his mother, were written about this time, evidently during an attack of homesickness. You ask me for verses, translated by Charles Derbyshire you bid me now to strike the lyre, that mute and torn so long has lain, and yet I cannot wake the strain, nor will the muse one note inspire, coldly it shakes in accents dire, as if my soul itself to ring, and when its sound seems but to fling a jest at its own low lament, so in sad isolation pant, my soul can neither feel nor sing, there was a time of is too true but that time long ago has passed when upon me the muse had cast indulgent smile and friendships too, but of that age now all too few the thoughts that with me yet will stay, as from the hours of festive play.